Hey, uh, welcome to week two of our detox series. If you want to detox, what are we talking about? Here's the definition of detox. To purge the body of toxic or unhealthy substances. Last week we talked about, in week one of detox, we talked about, hey, we need to take, we need to press pause. We need to pause in his presence. We need to just push the button and say, you know what? The world will survive if I take a few moments off. Because I need some time alone with God. And we talked about the only place we can find rest for our souls is where? God. God, that's the only place we find rest. So how do we do that? One, we we got to be still before God sometimes. And we are not good at being still before God. In a world where go, 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 do, 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 we that's what we expect. But the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. That, that, uh, the word be still, the Greek word rafa. Here's what it means. It means to relax, to stop, or my favorite, to show oneself slack. In other words, come on, give yourself a break. It's okay if the house is not uh, up to your standards. Take a break and just pause in his presence. I, you know, I, I picked on my wife last week about uh, her inability to just do nothing. And so yesterday I was at the rehearsal here for a church that I had to leave here, go over to Wolf Creek uh, Baptist and play for Kennedy or Sheridan who sang at a women's conference over there, which Gina Lund, uh, one of her, spoke at it. Um, and, and so we, I get home from there. Here comes Denise later that afternoon. And she says, I'm so glad to be home. I'm going to put my pajamas on and do nothing. And I said, yeah, right. And she's like, ha, 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 you're funny. And 20 minutes later, I say, hey, babe, I thought you were going to do nothing. I, I just got to get these dishes in the dishwasher. And so what I'm saying a lot of times, man, our souls need a break. We just need to press pause and say, okay, God, it's yours. And, and, and another way we, we uh, find our rest in God, we wait on God. And, two, and three, we reflect on God's goodness. Here's why we're doing this series. The Internet is full of ways, man, to cleanse your bodies, detox your bodies from the lemonade cleanse. Anybody ever done that one? That's a fun one. That's, that's really fun. Ten days where you're drinking this uh, type of lemonade with cayenne pepper in it and stuff. Yeah, it's fun. It's as fun as it sounds. Uh, or the uh, we talked about last week, the caffeine enema. How many saw Folgers commercial this week and that song, that jingle came into your head? Best part of waking up is Folgers, you know where. Come on, we, it, it's a real thing, folks, please, uh, believe me. And we spend a lot of time and effort in how to cleanse these bodies, but very little time or effort or even information is giving, given on how to cleanse their souls, how to cleanse their minds. How to, how to cleanse our spirits. Because uh, we need a detox for our soul and our spirit. How do you know I need a detox? Because if you've lived more than a day in this world, you need a detox. With all the negativity going on in the world. Come on. Social media. Uh, get on, Turn on the news. Uh, COVID. The elections we just went through. And then still the results going on about that. I, and you say, well, Kelly, I, I don't directly address any of those things or I'm not active on social media. You still suffer from secondhand smoke. 
And the toxins still seem to get into your system. And what happens is we walk around with these unhealthy souls. I'm not saying you're not a follower of Jesus or a Christian, but we've got these unhealthy souls and we become conflicted. Our souls become conflicted. Here's what I mean by that. Here's the definition. Having or showing confused and mutually inconsistent feelings. Having or showing confused and mutually inconsistent feelings. If you say, well, kid, I just, this is a good day for me to be here. I don't believe this is messages for me at all. Uh, I, you know, I don't wrestle with this at all. Well, then you're better than the Apostle Paul who wrote a third of the New Testament. Because he wrestled with it. He, he wrestled with some things going back. And, and here's, here's what I, I, I'm going to tell you. I don't care where you're, what Paul says in Romans 7, I, I don't care where you're from, where you were raised, your social demographic, your ethnicity, any of that. I'm, I'm going to tell you, you can relate to the words Paul writes here in Romans 7. And, and remember, when I read this, this is the Apostle Paul writing this. He wrote a third of the New Testament and is arguably the greatest church planner ever. Look what he says in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 7. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can anybody relate? Be honest. Come on now. I know who I'm talking to. Don't act like, I know, I get it right every time, Pastor Kelly. Well, you just got it wrong because you're a big liar. We all wrestle with the, the passion says it like this. The longing to do what is right are within me, but willpower is not enough. I, I mean, here's, here's what it looks like. God, forgive me. Man, I promise I will never do this again. God, if you're just, I, I, I'm, man, I'm not going to do that again. Then a day later, bam, you just did what you promised you ne never would do again. And you're right back into that mess. I love the, the, the way the message says it. It says this. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but then I don't do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. And then it goes on and says, My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. In other words, my good intentions aren't enough. The, I, I can put it in me, this is the decision I'm going to make, but somehow it's not enough. And he says, something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. What's Paul talking about? What's going on with him? It's the same thing that goes on with us. This struggle inside of us, this thing that's going on with everyone in this room, Paul's soul is conflicted, my soul, your soul, the, the, these confused and inconsistent feelings that go on in the inside of us. You, you know what to do, but you do the opposite of it. Come on now. You know what you shouldn't do, but you end up doing it anyway. Now, don't answer that out this out loud, but when you find yourself in that where you've done something you know you shouldn't have done or you don't do something, how do you feel? What is the result of that? I mean, come on, don't you feel guilt? I do. And then the devil tries to pull some shame in on that. Then we got conviction. I tell people, me and Holy Spirit have a love-hate relationship. 
I, I mean, I'm glad He convicts me of my sin, but man, it does not feel good. Are you hearing me? And a lot of times, though, when the, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin, that thing, a lot of times we'll try to cover it up. And, and because we don't want anybody to know that, well, we've fallen again. We don't want to hear the whispers uh, by, that, that people say, well, I knew they wouldn't get it right. I knew they'd mess up again. And we don't want to hear that. So what we do is, before we walk in those doors on Sunday or Wednesday, we take a deep breath, put on our church face. People say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. God is good all the time. And come on, sit back. Mm, I feel it right there. And we say the right things, but inside there is a war waging because we know that the night before we did the very thing we swore we would never do again. Look at what Peter, First uh, Peter 2 says about this. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, who's he talking to? Christians. He's referring, hey, this is not your home. So I'm warning you as temporary residents, as foreigners, he says this, keep away from worldly desires that do what? Wage war against your soul. Keep away from these worldly desires because they're waging war against your soul. The Greek word there for wage war literally means to gather a group of soldiers together to go to war. And what he's using here is a military term because he knows the fight for your soul is very real. It is a very real war going on and the enemy does not play or fight fair. He says, watch out for it. It's waging war against your soul. So I believe our souls become conflicted for a couple of reasons. First reason I believe is this. Unconfessed and hidden sins. Here's what I know. As, as a Christian, whenever I sin, whenever I do something uh, I know I shouldn't do, here's what I know. I know I'm breaking the Father's heart. Come on, do you know that? You know, it, it just breaks the Father's heart. And I also know when I break his heart, man, I can feel very guilty over that. Come on. Am I talking to the right people? And a lot of times we'll carry unconfessed sin or hidden sin around in our souls because after a while we, we, we're like, why bother confessing it? I'm just going to screw it up again. I'm just going to do it again. Why bother even confessing it? Or a lot of times we carry that unconfessed sin around on us because we've grown cold to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that, man, is a breeding ground for conflict in our souls. King David is a great example of this. Look what he says when he realizes, man, my sin is, is wrecking my body. Look what he says in Psalm 38, verse 3 and 4. There is a soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Passion says it like this. My body's sick. My health is totally broken because of your anger. And it's all due to my sin. Not anybody else's sin. 
It's all due to my sin. He says, I'm overwhelmed. I'm swamped. I'm submerged beneath the heavy burden of my guilt. It clings to me and it will not let me go. David said, man, my soul is so conflicted that it's causing my health to deteriorate. It's making my bones sick. It's making me sick inside. And here, here's the truth. People in here today and watching online, there are some secret sins that you're holding on to. How do I? The last statistic that I looked at, 50% of church-going men struggle with some sort of secret lust. 50%. I would say that number's low. And that's because I work with men. But women, 30% of women that go to church battle with a secret lust. What are you talking about? I'm talking about looking at something you know you have no business looking at. Flirting with something. Flirting with an opportunity that you know you have no business flirting with or or even uh, trying to put it out there. Because here's the thing, it has the potential of hurting and destroying relationships, marriages, your reputation. It's embarrassing. And, and when you do it, it is so conflicting and you wish... It, I wish I didn't do this. Let's get real today. Y'all ready? Let's take it further. Because I know we like to look at these deep sins. But let's look at some other sins the Bible talks about that are hidden. This is Pentecostal church's people's favorite one. Overeating. I know what to get an amen. So quiet. Overeating. Here's why I say that because, come on, I, I've been there. You promise, I, man, I, I'm not going to binge again. I'm not going to go to another buffet. I'm going to start eating right. I'm going to start eating healthy. And then the next thing you know, you you see the hot sign at Krispy Kreme and you're pulling there getting two dozen donuts. Come on. I can eat a dozen of those babies myself. But here's what I know after I'm finished. I'm like, Kelly, why did you do that? Why? Kelly, why'd you do that? What about this one, overspending? You feel empty inside, and you, or something has gone wrong, and you're like, man, it always makes me better when I buy something. But you get online, you get on Amazon, you, or you do it old school and actually go out to the shop. And, and, and you think, man, this will make me feel better. And you spend above what you know you can pay. Or some of you even put something on a credit card or open up a new credit card hoping that spouse doesn't find out about it. Come on. And your soul is conflicted because at night you go to sleep thinking, man, I hope I can pay for this. I hope I can pay this bill. I hope I can get through with this. What about addiction? Pop another pill, you take another drink, and the next thing you know, you can't stop. And you don't want anybody to find out about it because they think you're clean. You've been doing good for so long, but man, you messed up. So you don't want anybody to know that. You don't. You hide it, and you live with this conflicted soul of carrying around that unconfessed sin. The enemy has told you, some of you, that if he ever found out, they ever found about that secret sin, 
They wouldn't like you anymore. You wouldn't be welcome there anymore. And the enemy lies to you and gets you to think this is just who you are. Let me stop here and say this. This should have been in your notes. That may be what you did, but that is not who you are. I, I, somebody needs to hear that. That may be what you did in that moment, but that is not who you are. And we're going to talk about identity here in a few weeks because the enemy, man, I, I, I'm convinced he is, that is his number one thing he's after is our identity. It's not who you are, but he'll tell you things like, you failed, so that makes you a failure. You messed up. Might as well keep doing it. You're just damaged goods anyway. Come on. And you start buying into these lies and you desperately hold on to this secret sin, this unconfessed sin, and it's literally torturing your soul. Look, look, look what Proverbs says, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sins, covers up, hides, does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Passion says it like this. If you cover up your sin, you'll never do well. But if you confess your sins and forsake them, you will be kissed by mercy. I love that. Anybody ever had food poisoning? I've never had food poisoning. But from what I've been told, when you get food poisoning, what you've eaten, suddenly your body starts rejecting it from every orifice in your body. Is that pretty much correct? You, you, you're wearing diapers on any hole that it could possibly come out of. Can I tell you that's the same with unconfessed sin? You digest it. Then it sits and begins to work on you. It begins to make you sick. It begins to make your soul sick. And then it's just trying to get out of you. I'm telling you guys. David said in Psalms 38, my whole body is sick. And it's because of my sin. See, the enemy doesn't have to get you to commit some loose sin. Are you hearing me? He's not out here trying to get you to commit murder, or trying to get you to go out and do something crazy. If he can just hold you to those unconfessed sins, he's happy. Because you'll live with that, that soul that is conflicted. And it'll make you of little use to the Father. Because you can't get past it. Why don't we confess? Why don't we confess our sins? Well, a couple of, a couple of reasons. One is very obvious. We confess to God for the forgiveness of our sins. Wow, I knew that. Do, do you, though? Because here's what I'm convinced of, Terry. There are a lot of people that have confessed their sins, a lot of Christians that have confessed their sins, but they're still hanging on to them and carrying them around with them. The enemy has convinced you, oh, you confess. He's still holding on to it. He's still holding it against you. He still remembers it. It's not really wiped clean. But, but then we got to decide, do we believe God or do we believe the lies of the enemy? Because 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all right and righteousness. So either we believe that or we don't. But a lot of Christians walk around with this weight. We've confessed it, but man, we still carry the baggage. We still carry it. 
I'm telling you, don't hold on to it. Confess it. Why? Because he is faithful and just to forgive you. You, you remember the old school etch sketches Remember those? Man, you, you got those two knobs. And then when you, but if you messed up, what happens? Oh, I got a clean slate. That's what happens when you confess your sins to God. I got a clean slate. You know the difference between God's grace and God's and, and etch a sketch though? With etch a sketch, you have to start back at square one. With God, when you confess, where's that last point that you left off with God? Because that's where God was waiting on you at. I'm telling you guys, we confess it to God for forgiveness of sin. But the second reason we confess our sins is this. We confess to one another for healing. See, we quote James 5, 16 all the time. The end of it, though. The prayer of a righteous man, a righteous woman, is powerful and effective. But what about the first part of that verse? We don't hear it mentioned a lot. Therefore, confess your sins to who? Each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now listen, I'm not talking about you seeing you call up your buddy. You ain't going to believe what I did. Woo! It's a doozy. Here's what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm talking This is why community is so important, guys. This is why belonging to a church body community is so important. It, this is why surrounding yourself with godly men and godly women is so important. Because you can go to that person and he can say, Hey, man, I messed up today. I blew it today. Can you walk me through this? I had a guy a couple weeks ago call me PK. Uh, man, not, nothing bad, he said, but I want to get ahead of this because I know where, what, what the enemy likes to do. And he said, I found myself you know, uh, browsing some things. And, and I'm like, man, it's not there yet, but I feel like it could get there. And I just want you to call me. You know what he was doing? He was inviting me into his battle. See, that's what you do when you confess to a brother or a sister. You're inviting them into a battle to help you fight a battle you've not been able to win by yourself yet. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this. Know those in your circle and I tell my, the circle that, that is my group, the guys I mentor, if what we talk about in this meeting, if I hear it getting out, you won't be in this circle anymore because you broke the trust. Because I'm telling you, you've got to have people, men and godly women, that you can go to and say, hey, this is where I'm struggling, man. When that guy called me, you know what I didn't do? Are you, are you stinking kidding me? Get a grip, bro. Pull it together. I said, dude, I got you back. I'm here for you. You know why? Because I know somewhere along the line, I'm going to be calling him, saying, I need your help. I need some backup. I need you to help me fight a battle that I'm, I'm losing, and I need some guys that don't mind getting their hands dirty and blood on them to fight with me. I'm telling you guys, he says, confess, confess. And here, here's why I'm saying this. In May, I've, we've never really pushed small groups here. Uh, that much, but in May, we're going to begin pushing them. I've asked our staff, I said, guys, can you give me six weeks? I said, because I want each one of you 
I want you to go pray for two weeks and bring me back. This is the small group that I, I feel like God wants me to start. Why six weeks? Because I, I feel like we can all commit to once a week for six weeks showing up. And, and it's not, I know a lot of people, when they think small groups, they think, oh, it's another Bible study. I say, guys, here, be creative. You want to you wanna tell people, hey, meet me at the walking track in Decatur or over in Spring City. We're going to walk. Then we're going to fellowship. We're going to read some scripture. But the important thing is we're going to build some connection. Because I believe if this church, the next step for getting this church to the next level is us getting making some connections with each other other than the only couple people we hang out with. And here's the thing. It's easier, hey, to invite somebody to a walking group or a hunting club or a group that meets at four in the morning, God forbid, at the gym. I'm not signing up for that group. Nothing against you. But God is not even up at 4 a.m. Um, you know. But what it does, you're not inviting them to a church. You're inviting them to something. That, oh, that sounds good. And the next thing they know... They start building relationships with people. I'm telling you, that's how the first century church was built. And so I want you to be ready. In May, we're going to begin to push this, and I'm going to ask everybody that calls this place home to get involved. Six weeks, that's all we're asking. That's all we're asking of you. Let's move on. The second way thing that uh, causes their souls to be conflicted, lies we believe. I'm talking about things the enemy has told you for so long that weren't true, but you've been told them so long you actually believe them. You've been told you'll never be able to change. You've been told you'll never break free. You've been told this is just the history. Look, look at your family legacy. This is all they've ever been. This is all you'll ever be. And you've bought into those lies, and now those lies have become truth to you. Anybody remember uh, the... Um, iPad, iPod Classics. Come on, iPod Classics. Anybody got one? Still got one. Still got one. Do you have a flip phone? I, I believe that, Leo, for some reason. I believe that. You got the crazy text where you got to, you know, the, yeah, the, I hated that. Yeah, I hate those. But anyway, hey, don't, 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 don't get me off track. I'll be here forever. But here, here's the thing. When I had my iPod Classic. I, there were times I'd hook that into the computer to load some new songs or something, and it would hit, say this, hey, there's a problem. Reset to default settings. When I hit reset, it would give me this warning. If you do this, if you proceed with this, all the settings you've put into this iPod will be erased. I think a lot of people in the church need to be reset to their default setting because so long things have been have been programmed into them, programmed, and God has said, hey, 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 there's a problem here. Reset to default settings. This is not who I planned on you to be. This is not who I created you to be. I created you to be a mighty man of God, a mighty woman of God, a great father, a great man. Reset to default settings. Get back to what I planned on you being. 
See, we, we, we get these lies and we believe them because, how, I mean, no, listen, one, it, and this, this is not pro-mask, anti-mask, whatever. One man came on the scene and it caused everybody, well, a lot of people, to start wearing masks and not question it. Why? Because we, we believe things that are just totally, I'm not saying this, listen, don't get off on that. But I'm saying it doesn't take much to send us down a rabbit hole. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Roger Bannister? He, he, here, here this guy is. Uh, he, experts have said for years there's no way the human body can run a four-minute mile. There's no way. In, in, in 1940, uh, the mile record was pushed to four minutes and one second, and that's where it stayed for nine years because they said it can't be done. The human body is not capable, capable of doing a four-minute mile. And so Roger Bannister on May 6th in 1954 became the first person in history to break the four-minute mile ba barrier. And he did it with a shattering time of three minutes, 59.4 seconds. Here's my point up to that point in time. Can't be done, can't be done, can't be done. Bannister shows up, shows it can be done. 64 days later, a guy by the name of Landy breaks his record of a four-minute mile. Now, now today, any elite athlete better be able to run less than a four-minute mile if you want to compete. Why? Because that barrier was shattered. Saying, and, and I think a lot of you, man, you, you've been told you'll never be able to do this. You'll never be able to break that. And you've bought into that lie for so stinking long. And I believe God wants to show, no, you can do it. Because all we need to do is reset back to your default setting. The way you were meant to be, guys. Because here's the truth. Here's the big truth of today. Christ can. And he wants to set you free. If I can get Bob to come on up. Christ can. He wants to set you free. You, you don't have to live with this conflicted soul, guys. I mean, John 8, 36 says, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's liberty. Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I, I could go on and on, but the enemy does he, he don't, don't want you to think that it's possible for you to be free. It's that four-minute barrier he wants to keep you thinking is not possible to break. It's not possible. It's always been like this. You are your mama's child. You are your daddy's child. It runs in the family. This is just who you are. He wants you to bind that. He doesn't want you to know that you can be free. You, you know why he doesn't want you to be free? Because it's hard to set other people free if we're not free. Hard to set the oppressed free. Those dealing with depression. Those dealing with addiction. Those dealing with abuses. Those dealing with unforgiveness. Those dealing with, with, with thoughts where they were molested younger. It's hard to see people set free when we're not free. Jesus 
went back to his hometown where he was raised. He walked into this synagogue. They hand him a scroll to read from. And now you got to understand scrolls are like a Bible. You, you can open up and find very easily where you want to read from. Scrolls weren't like that. They hand Jesus this scroll. And just so happens he opens it up and begins to read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim uh, that captives to be released, that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free. Do you believe that? I mean, do we really believe that? Because that's why he came. See, the enemy doesn't want you to believe it. He doesn't want you to believe that you can be set free. And that's why the enemy comes and he whispers in your ear the lies. You'll never break free from this. You'll never find a way out. This is just who you are. Listen to me very close. You can be set free from your lying, from your sexual sin. You can be set free from your anger, from your temper, from that addiction. You can be set free from that racism that has ingrained your family for years. You can be set free from that eating disorder. You can be set free from depression. You can be set free from feeling less than, like you'll never measure up. You can be set free. Jesus has already paid the price for it. And you've got one option. Hold on to that unconfessed sin and let it be toxins for your soul. Or confess it and be healed. I tell you, this could be the day chains fall. This could be the day you finally walk out free. I know the enemy. And, and you call some of you think, well, Kelly, I've been up there time and time again and nothing has happened. Today's your day. Why don't we see it like that? What if today things change in my life? What if today I don't leave here depressed? What if today I don't I, I, I don't have that, that craving for nicotine or that craving for an oxy or, or that craving for heroin? What if today I don't have that lust? What if today I walk out free? Stand with me across the 